This is an Area Code podcast. Hi, Jack here. This is one of those episodes I debated not including in the first season. Like many of these early artists, there's not a lot of information out there on Adeline Hood, so this episode is shorter than others. On top of that, Adeline Hood's bread and butter was aural blackface and minstrel-like caricature of Southerners, topics that we've already touched on in earlier episodes, and clips of which I'm not thrilled to listen to myself, let alone play for an audience. In this episode, I don't play what I feel are the most egregious examples of Adeline Hood's racist characters, but I do play clips of songs that would lead you to deeply racist waters if you were to listen to the whole thing. I don't feel a need to put a warning on this episode, because if you've been listening at all to the first season, or if you've studied your history, it will come as no surprise that racism is prevalent in 1920s American entertainment. I ultimately decided to air this short episode because I think Adeline Hood's story and contributions add a necessary piece to our understanding of the building of country music and set the stage for firmly canonized artists that follow her, artists whom we'll discuss in future episodes. You can consider this 20-minute episode a completist podcaster's folly, if you must, but through researching Adeline Hood and her colleagues, I have a fuller picture of how country music formed, and I trust that you will too. Well, I'll tell you who I am and where I'm from. I'm from Princeton in Missouri, and I'm known from coast to coast. I'm Calamity Jane, the big hurricane, and I've never been known to boast. Why, tell us something. Who gets to perform country music? What is country music? Is it a southern thing? Is it an anti-elitist thing? Is it anti-pretension? It's a different question than who gets to perform at the Grand Old Opry. It's a different question than who gets to be played on country music radio. These are decisions made by the push and pull of gatekeepers and fans. This season of Wildwood Flower, we're looking for the roots of country music and tracing these roots as they become established into recognizable genres. Who gets to perform country music? For as much as we have seen the cultural roots of country music as being Southern, think Roba Stanley or the Carter family, anti-elitist, think Lydia Mendoza or Moonshine Kate, or anti-pretension, Samantha Bumgarner or Elsie McWilliams, we know that for any kind of entertainment that reaches mass appeal, there needs to be an element of performance and polish. We can't talk about performance and polish in 1920s America without talking about vaudeville. Mr. Olson, would you play something for Eddie? Do that, will you? Vaudeville, America's entertainment before the movies. From around 1880 to 1930, up to 25,000 yearly performers drew crowds all around America for variety shows of comedy, music, magic, odd talents like regurgitation, and dramatic performances. Many entertainment legends got their start in vaudeville. Judy Garland. Say, say have you danced with the rhythm of Americana? From Tim Pan Alley to Mexicana. 
Groucho Marx. You can leave in a taxi. If you can't get a taxi, you can leave in a huff. If that's too soon, you can leave in a minute and a huff. Bob Hope. Abbott and Costello. Cary Grant. The Three Stooges. The list goes on. Vaudeville shows were set up on touring circuits. Many times vaudeville troops would tour a circuit of theaters owned by one person. Pantages theaters, for example, which still stand in many cities today. We can make an easy connection between vaudeville and country music through Vernon Dahlhart, an operetta tenor from Texas, who was performing in musicals and variety shows on New York stages when he entered the record business. His job was to take Edison recording machines on the vaudeville circuit to demonstrate its wonders. On the vaudeville circuit, he meets a South Carolinian fiddle player, pianist, and singer who's also working for Edison as an Edison tone tester. Her name is Adeline Hood. They become romantic and musical partners, though Dahlhart was married at the time. Vernon Dahlhart is a big deal. Along with his partner, Carson Robison, he was the first country musician to have a million-selling record in 1924, the wreck of the old 97, backed by the Prisoner's Song. They give him his orders at Monroe, Virginia, saying, Pete, you're way behind time. This is not 38, but it's old 97. You must put her in center on time. He looked round, says to Oh, please meet me tonight in the moonlight. Please meet me tonight all alone. For I have a sad story to tell you. It's a story that's never been We're not in 1924 yet, and though the country music history books mostly mention Adeline Hood in reference to Vernon Dahlhart, let's find out more about her outside of her famous paramour and partner. Adeline was born in South Carolina in 1897 to a genteel Southern family. Her mother was musical and taught her piano. Adeline continued her classical musical training, majoring in music at Queens College in Charlotte, North Carolina, studied voice and piano at Chicora College in Columbia, South Carolina, and then studied piano at New York School of Music and Arts and violin at Juilliard. She transferred her studies to the University of Alabama when her family moved to Tuscaloosa. In 1917, Hood enters show business, first as an Edison tone tester. She would go on the vaudeville circuit with her Edison machine and Edison recordings and compare a live voice to the recorded voice. It's on this circuit that she meets Vernon Dahlhart. By the mid-1920s, a new form of entertainment is taking over America, the movies. In the movies, a talented act can be recorded once and shown hundreds of times. Unique vaudeville performers, animal acts, regurgitators, comedians, singers, dancers often had one act, perfected and polished through constant performance, often several times a day. If this act is filmed, there's no need for the artist to perform it live several times a day for a live-paying audience. The audience can just go to the movies and see the act. 
The specialized vaudeville artist, then, needs to come up with new acts to attract a crowd, something no one has seen before. The rise in popularity of the movies, and the inability of vaudevillians to adapt to the times, leads to the diminishment of vaudeville as the primary form of entertainment in the U.S. Adeline Hood, among the ranks now of unemployed vaudevillians, moves to New York and begins teaching music. By 1927, Vernon Dalhart and his musical partner Carson Robinson from Oswego, Kansas, were hugely successful performers. We mentioned their mega-hit The Wreck of the Old 97 and The Prisoner's Song in 1924. Robinson, claiming a more authentic southern repertoire of music, wrote several hundred songs that they incorporated into their act. In 1927, while Carson Robinson was on his honeymoon, Dalhart went behind his back and fired their fiddler and hired Adeline Hood in his place. This irked his musical partner, but they made enough of amends to form a trio. Their work together could be described as a vaudeville hillbilly act, and they performed under the names the Jewel Trio, the Oriole Trio, the Robinson Trio, the Vernon Dalhart Trio, and the Regal Rascals. There's a voice within my heart called Sweet Elaine. Elaine, Elaine, my sweet Elaine, when shadows fall, I hear you. Then once again, comes the refrain. There's a voice within my heart. Just as vaudeville embraced minstrelsy with its blackface performances, exploiting and misrepresenting African-American culture, so too did vaudeville tend toward cartoonish representations of hillbilly music. Dollhart's guitar playing and Hood's fiddling were borrowed from string band styles. The themes of their songs adhered to the Tin Pan Alley version of the South, made popular by composers like Stephen Foster. I came to Alabama with my banjo on my knee. I was to Louisiana, my true love for to see. It rained all night, the day I left, the weather it was dry. The sun so hot I froze to death, Susanna, don't you cry. Some would later call this type of music City Billy. The trio also performed oral blackface by imitating and lampooning black dialect. Here's a song called On the Chain Gang Now. Jet said the mighty days 
on the chain gang now Gotta change his ways Or else he gets no child He told a lot of lies He messed me up and how The judge said, prisoner rise He's on the chain gang I haven't played the most egregious parts of these songs, and it won't be the last time that Adeline Hood exploits and caricatures other dialects for her own purposes. Adeline Hood was white. Her and Dollhart and Robison's use of caricatured black dialect is racist. There's no question of this in my mind. I question Hood's performing music and sketches with southern tropes and accents in the first place. Where does the exploitation begin? Adeline is Carolinian and Alabaman. Dollhart is Texan. Their training broadened their repertoire of music, and I would imagine that they had been exposed to a wide array of dialects in their travels and training. How much of their performances in the city billy vein can be deemed authentic, and how much exploitative? In true vaudevillian form, their accent recordings included comedy bits as well. Dollhart and Hood had their personal differences and personality clashes. Dollhart had a temper and was prone to outbursts. Hood was ambitious. Robison felt exploited. Robison quits the trio in 1928, and Dollhart's career took a hit. Dollhart and Hood would only record twice again together, though they did go on tour together in London in the early 1930s. Initially, there was speculation that Hood was the cause of the breakup, but Carson Robison would counter these claims by saying that she was a charming person and that it was Dollhart's arrogance that led to the split, an arrogance that manifested in Dollhart signing an exclusive contract with Columbia without consulting Robison, telling the company that Robison, who wrote all of the songs, would have no choice but to do what Dollhart wanted. The trio's decline did not stop the ambitious Adeline Hood. In 1929, she records her biggest hit, Calamity Jane, with Dollhart. Say, you're pretty tough, ain't you? Why, I'm so tough, I'm afraid to sleep with myself. You must have been the meanest brat when you were just a kid. <laughs> you can look right in the graveyard at some of the things I did. When it comes right down to fighting, <laughs> I'm known in every place. I can throw a steer in less than that and spit in the wildcat's face. I'm Calamity Jane. Calamity Jane. I blazed the trail and rode the plane. You're pretty tough. I'm tougher than tough. I'm the famous Calamity Jane. Whoopee! Go and listen to the whole song if you can, and try not to smile. She also records Lonesome Cowboy with John White. Adeline performed the fiery, dominant woman in many of her solo and duet recordings. This was not typical of recordings at this time. Dollhart, married with children, is ruined by the stock market crash, and Hood leaves him. One unidentified person says, After the crash, she walked out on him. She took him for all that he had while he was in New York. In the early 1930s, Dollhart and Hood hosted a syndicated radio show sponsored by Barbasol called Barbershop Chords. Hood played a manicurist named Barbara. Dollhart played a barber named Barbasol Ben. The show lasted for six months. 
After this, Hood spends some time in Europe, playing music more closely aligned with her training, putting on violin recitals, and singing orchestra-backed songs in concert halls. She returns to the U.S. in 1936, and she takes on the persona of folk singer Betsy White and began to perform on NBC Radio. She also sings for orchestras on the radio in much of the same way she did in Europe. In 1939, Quaker Oates hires Adeline to be the first radio Aunt Jemima, whose spots aired on the popular Dick Tracy radio show. Uh, this phone? Uh, yes, Mr. Tracy. Thanks. Hello? Hello, Tracy. Oh, hello, Cooper. What is it? Uh, Tracy, come down here to the Ballistics Bureau as fast as you can. But what is it? What's happened? Tracy, that bullet they took out of your leg is the most amazing bullet I've ever seen, in more ways than one. I can't talk on the phone, but for heaven's sake, get down here as fast as you can. The Aunt Jemima character has its roots in racism and minstrelsy, and the Quaker Oats Company exploited and perpetuated negative stereotypes of black women to sell their product. Adeline participates in this racial exploitation and the aural blackface radio ads. We all know how that eventually turned out, with Quaker Oats finally rebranding its Aunt Jemima line to Pearl Milling Company in 2021. Hood moves to Pittsburgh and continues her audio blackface by taking on a character of Aunt Caroline from 1941 to 1945. She would perform nearly every morning, dispensing cringy, folksy wisdom to Pittsburgh listeners for six years as this character. She marries a Pittsburgh food broker, retires from music, and becomes a Pittsburgh socialite until her death in 1956. City Billy, primarily a genre of performing southern-tinged songs for a northern audience, helped popularize country music around the world. As much as City Billy assisted the spread and raised the profile of southern music, City Billy also incorporated elements of minstrelsy that perpetuated negative stereotypes of Southerners, both black and white. Without Adeline Hood, we may not have artists like Minnie Pearl, Lulu Bell, Cousin Emmy, and Judy Canova in the 1930s and beyond, or Ella Mae Morse, Dale Evans, and Dorothy Shea in the 40s. I plan to talk about all of these artists in future episodes. Who gets to perform country music? It's interesting to put Adeline Hood and Minnie Pearl side by side. Adeline Hood has southern roots, classical training, access to upper crust society, and performed popular southern-tinged songs that took on caricatures of southerners in her act. Minnie Pearl, or Sarah Ophelia Collie Cannon, has all of those same traits, albeit with a more gentle satire. Adeline Hood did most of her recording and performing in New York and Europe, only some of them with traditional string band instrumentation. Minnie Pearl did hers on the Grand Old Opry stage with Nashville musicians. There's some question as to Adeline Hood's authenticity and place in country music, although she's associated with indisputable country music giants Carson Robison and Vernon Dahlhart. But there's no question of Minnie Pearl's authenticity. Does the answer to the question have more to do with the listener than the performer? Is it about who embraces you and whose embrace you court more than it is about what you do and where you come from? I don't get the sense that Adeline Hood really tried to be embraced by Southern people as much as she wanted to translate Southernness to an external audience. I'm curious to hear what you think about this reading of Adeline Hood and the City Billy genre and her inclusion in this podcast. 
There's not a lot about Adeline Hood out there, and I even had a hard time finding music that I wanted to feature. I welcome any additional information any listener can provide. I could have talked a lot more about Vernon Dahlhardt and Carson Robison, but I wanted to put as much focus on Adeline as I could. Despite the dearth of material, I also thought it important to introduce the concept of City Billy here as it leads directly to some very important figures in country music, and to give an example of someone who, in my estimation, strayed too far over the line in her adopting and caricaturing a Southern persona, a line that we will continue to pay attention to in future episodes of Wildwood Flower. Thanks for listening. If you want to submit a cover song to be featured on the podcast, please get in touch with me on Instagram at wildwoodflowerpod or through email at wildwoodflowerpod at gmail.com. You can also contact me at either of these accounts for any reason. I'd love to hear from you. If you're listening to previous episodes or this episode and you wish you could cover one of the songs featured, it's not too late. Get in touch with me. I might do an all-covers episode in the future. Ways to support women in music and ways to support the podcast are in the show description, along with references and a song list from today's episode. Next episode, Annie Kerr. Thanks for listening.